رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. All the praise are due to Allah سبحانه وتعالى. May Allah's blessings be upon His Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. As you gather, this is the final session of our conference also on Dawah for this year. Inshallah, it won't be the last. It's going to be, inshallah, a few minutes allocated to each of the brothers, the brothers who took uh, part in lecturing uh, during this conference. And after that, we shall uh, move into answering your questions. We shall give, inshallah, priority to the questions, written questions which we have received in the previous lectures, and because of time constraint, we were not able to address. Also, we shall, inshallah, receive your questions uh, in this session, if you have any, and try our best to address them if time allows. I shall start, inshallah, with Sheikh Abamin Phillips and ask him to use his inshallah a few minutes to outline the main points that in his opinion needs to be pointed out inshallah Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Salatu wa salam ala Rasulil Kareem wa ala alihi wa sahabi wa man istanna bi sinati wa muddin our praise due to Allah and Allah's peace and blessings and his last prophet Muhammad and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. In the lectures of yesterday and today, we looked at the importance of Islamic. We pointed out that the seeking of knowledge is something required of each and every human being, that religious knowledge occupies a position of priority in our search for knowledge, and that knowledge was to be used to guide us in our personal lives, guide our families, and to aid us in the process of inviting others to Islam, considering that the general heading of our two-day conference, or three-day conference, is that of thoughts on da'wah. And we pointed out in the course of expanding on those basic topics, the need for a respect for knowledge as well as those who are conveying the knowledge, and that it was necessary for us to prioritize the process by which we gain knowledge, meaning that in studying about Islam, we should focus on the fundamental issues, having mastered those fundamentals, and we build 
gradually on that till we reach the more detailed and uh, controversial issues. That we are careful not to get ourselves caught up in the differences of opinions amongst the scholars when we haven't understood the fundamental requirements of the Islamic sciences. We can hardly recite the Quran properly with Tajweed in our prayer, but yet we have become specialists, you know, on quote-unquote suruhiyya, the latest danger to the Ummah, you know, which is being propagated presently. Uh, and that we emphasize the need for understanding that the scholars are themselves human beings. Meaning that they make mistakes and as such we should take them in that light as human beings as as we make mistakes and we expect people to excuse our mistakes and, you know, to be uh, reasonable with us, not to cut off their relationships with us because we made one mistake or two mistakes. That in the same way, and even more so, considering that as the Prophet said, the scholars are the inheritors of the Prophet, that it is very important for us to maintain our connection with the scholars, that we don't break it off simply because we don't agree with one position or because a group of scholars don't agree with the position of a particular scholar, etc. And as long as we're not talking about things which take people outside of the bounds of Islam. As long as we're within the bounds of Islam, then there has to be tolerance for differences of opinion because we will never be able to agree about everything. Though we have accepted the same foundation, the Quran, the Sunnah, as it's understood by the early generations of Muslims, we are opposed to innovation and we are opposed to deviation. But in spite of all that, we are still human beings with different understandings and differences will arise. And if we have uh, try to bring evidence to somebody about the meaning or the realities of a particular issue and that person cannot grasp it they feel more satisfied with other explanations that were given to them which are also based on Quran and Sunnah then we have to respect their right not to agree with us and we do what we have to do and ask Allah to guide them if in fact they are wrong. Following that, we looked at the issues of the Islamic moral character and the importance of that character in the realm of da'wah, communication, giving advice to Muslims, communicating the word of Islam to non-Muslims. We emphasized in the course of those lectures, that particular lecture, on the importance that Islam places on good moral character. And this, in fact, Prophet told us was the essence of what Islam was about. 
But it is about building a solid moral character. The Muslim who is righteous is a morally sound individual. He is respectful to people and people appreciate his character and his manners. They may disagree with his opinion. They may dislike him personally. This is life. But they will not be able to say this man is a bad character. And in today's workshop followed by the session on the conditions for da'wah as expressed in Patience and Perseverance, we looked at this essential characteristic which is necessary for the da'i or the propagator of Islam to possess, being that it is amongst the major characteristics of the prophets. They were the ones who initially carried the word of Allah to mankind. Scholars following them continue to carry it. But that they, in the course of carrying that message, were faced with all types of calamities and trials, etc. in their lives. That this is a necessary uh, accompaniment of da'wah. We pointed out that patience, which is a requirement, is a product of trust in Allah. If we have a deep trust in Allah, that He knows best what is best, then we are able to handle the situations we find ourselves in patiently. But if we really don't have a developed sense of trust in Allah, that for us, faith is only knowledge about faith. Then we will not be able to handle our circumstances. When difficulties arise, we will get angry, we will shout, we will curse, and, you know, we are abusive to people, abusive to our families, abusive to our children, our wives, etc., etc. Because we have not developed our faith. Our faith is still rudimentary. We may have accumulated bodies of knowledge. We can give all the conditions for, you know, salah and fasting. We can list them all down and teach them to others. But we haven't applied the principles in our own lives from a base of understanding. Instead, we have done so as rituals. We go through the motions. But it doesn't affect our lives. And as I quoted from Sufyan al who said that when he set off to gain knowledge, his mother told him, as a young man, 13, 14, setting out in the path of knowledge, she told him, if you write down ten words, and your faith is not increased, then check yourself. 
you're gathering knowledge, learning things, and they don't affect your faith, meaning your faith is not on the increase, that you're not benefiting from it, then you must check yourself, check your intention, are you doing it for the right purpose? You know, what is it you're really seeking? Maybe it's fame. See, because if you're seeking fame, then the knowledge will not benefit you. It will only increase your arrogance, your sense of pride, etc., etc. The evil qualities. So this, is, this was the advice of the mother of Sufiana Tauri. And in the last session, the one prior to this, we looked at a particular issue of da'wah, which I considered to be a central issue, which was whether God became man. This is a, an important aspect of Tawheed, about which most of the various religions and sects around the world have deviated. It's based on a confused idea of how God creates, that God creates from himself, that the creation is a product of himself, a part of himself. And we pointed out that no matter how they may argue about God being able to do all things, we showed conclusively that this statement doesn't include the absurdities things which will make God less than He is. God is able to do all things which are befitting with Him being God. Not things which will make Him less than God, a man. <coughs> having the qualities of a man. But those things which are befitting with His majesty and divinity. That brings us to our session here now in which, inshallah, we hope to answer the questions left over from all of the previous sessions. We give a few more minutes, inshallah, to Shaykh Hashim al-Rifai to outline what he thinks needs to be outlined, inshallah. الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على نبي الله الامين محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم اجمعين. I don't know why he is giving me only a few minutes but anyway I'll go for 10 minutes at least inshallah. Brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته. Our gathering share with us you are here only and only because of لا اله الا الله محمد رسول الله. Without doubt, La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah is the main thing, in fact, the main objective of our living. We are here because and because of La ilaha illallah. In fact, Adam was created for La ilaha illallah and his Eve was generated, his wife was generated out of him for La ilaha illallah. In fact, all the Prophet and Messenger were sent for La ilaha illallah and in fact they suffered also for La ilaha illallah until everything came on the head of the Prophet and his shoulder that for La ilaha illallah. 
Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam with Bilal and with Suhaib and with other, he was sitting behind the Kaaba. And Abu Jahl passed by them and he said, Muhammad, if you sack these people from around you, if you turn them away, then we shall be with you, we shall sit with you. But then Allah Azza wa Jalla revealed Al Quran Al Karim on him, Wala tutrid al ladina yad'oona rabbahum bil ghadati wal ashi. And turn away not those who supplicate to their Lord or remember their Lord in the morning and the evening. Therefore, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam kept all the time asking Allah, Allahumma hiyi miskinan wa mithi miskinan wa hshunni fi zimrat al masakin. Oh Allah, as long as I am alive, keep me miskin. And when you take me, cause me to die, cause me to die as miskin. And when you resurrect me, resurrect me with the miskin. But miskin to us, we think that that who doesn't have money, or doesn't have or cannot live uh, as other people live. No. A Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as scholars uh, argued that he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had explained what miskin means that humble, modest, humble and modest with each other, with other Muslims. Humble and modest toward Allah Azza wa Jal has no wing when it comes to Allah and when it comes to the Prophet and when it comes to the believers has no wing to fly so to show them that I am better than you. So therefore that's the miskin we are talking about. Brother and sister in Islam, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, unfortunately without doubt we, did not, we cannot appreciate him as those people who appreciated him. Uh, correctly, properly, perfectly like the Sahaba and it says in a poem form says ضحكت لك الأيام يا عالم الهدى واستبشرت بقدومك الأعوام وتوقف التاريخ عندك مذعنا وتوقف التاريخ عندك مذعنا تملي عليه وصحبك الأقلام أضحك فإنك جئت بشرى للوراء في راحتيك السلم والإسلام أضحك فبعثتك الصعود وفجرها ميلاد جيل ما عليه ظلام. I don't know if there is time for me to translate this. I'm ready. And then on the other hand, without doubt about لا إله إلا الله. Therefore, we need to apply لا إله إلا الله and implement لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله as he صلى الله عليه وسلم showed us. فما حياة نظم الوحي سيرها وإلا فموت لا تسر العادية. إذا نحن أزجنا وأنت إمامنا كفى بالمطايا طيب ذكراك حاديا وإذا نحن أضللنا الطريق ولم نجد دليلا كفانا نور وجهك هاديا صلى الله عليه وسلم Therefore لا إله إلا الله today unfortunately not like لا إله إلا الله that day وجلجلة الأذان في كل حي ولكن أين صوت من بلالي ولكن أين صوت من بلالي منائركم علت في كل ساح ومسجدكم من العباد خالي وجلجلت الاذان the echo of the adhan in everywhere every area but where is the voice of Bilal where is the voice of Bilal منائركم your manawat is spread all over the world but your your mosques are empty from the worshippers so la ilaha illallah we want to take inshallah as those people understood it I can't add, I don't think I will add anything more than what Sheikh uh, Abu Amin Ahabadullah said and, and uh, summarized 
But only I thought to refresh our minds about how to take La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah. Uh, how to take it is to stick to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam rigidly, comprehensively, and to understand him as Sahaba understood him, and therefore. الله عز وجل سيدنا القرآن الكريم ومن مشاقق الرسول من بعد ما تبين له الهدى ويتبع غير سبيل المؤمنين نوليه ما تولى ونصله جهنم وساءت مصيرا and whoever contradicts and opposes the messenger of Allah the messenger after the clear we had been after the right we had been clearly showed to him and and chooses other than the believers way we shall keep him in the way he has chosen but we shall burn him in the hellfire, and what an evil destination. Therefore, who are those believers which are mentioned in this ayah? Ayah number 100 in Surah At-Tawbah explains those believers. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه وَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا Abada, ذلك الفوز العظيم. And those from Bereza al-Islam, the Maidan from Mecca, and those citizens of Medina al-Ansar who gave them aid, and those who follow them exactly in faith, Allah Azza wa Jal will please with them and as they are will please with Allah. Allah Azza wa Jal prepared for them paradise under which rivers of love to dwell therein forever, and that is their supreme success. So those are the believers whom we should follow exactly. In order for, in order to attract the Allah Azza wa Jalla pleasure, and we, so Allah Azza wa Jalla be pleased with us. Brothers and sisters in Islam, Imam Shafi'i said this from very beautiful, but I don't know if I memorize it correctly. I will say it anyway. أحب الصالحين ولست منهم. أحب الصالحين ولست منهم. لعلي أنا بهم شفاعة. I love the righteous people, although I am not among them. See the modest people. So see the humble. I love the righteous people, although I am not among them. وَحِبُّ الصَّالِحِينَ وَلَسْتُ مِنْهُمْ لَعَلِّي أَنَا بِهِمْ شَفَعَ I am hoping that I gain some intercession through them in the hereafter. وَأَكْرَ مَنْ تَجَارَتْهُ الْمَعَاصِي وَأَنْ كُنَّا سَوَاهُمْ فِي الْبِضَاعَةِ But I hate those who market wicked things, although we are, we are all, I am like them, marketing the, the, the same things. So therefore here we need to remember what Allah Azza wa Jal said. وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْرُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَةِ وَلَا تَعْدُ عَنَاكَ عَنُمْ تُرِيدُ زِينَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Therefore we need to take, to be patient with those who remember Allah morning and afternoon and fearing Allah and supplicating for Allah and asking Allah Azza wa Jal and very modest, very humble, seeking Allah Azza wa Jal help and aid and support. Finally, brothers and sisters in Islam, finally, brothers and sisters in Islam, with all the time, if we want to see, if we want to, if we want, inshallah Azza wa Jal, to face the difficulties uh, 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 that we are facing now, and to appreciate what we are facing now, we all the time need to go back to our glorious past. And we see how the Sahaba, عليهم, how the Sahaba, عليهم, Dealt with La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah, they love the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam more than they love themselves and their wealth and their children and their dunya totally. That's why Allah Azza wa Jal gave them or will give them or giving them is giving them the paradise to dwell therein forever. Remember that you are going to be resurrected with those who are you are you are imitating. If La Qadr Allah will imitate Mr. T. You know whom I'm talking about. 
Mr. T or for example Shokatis, then we shall be with them. But if we imitate Abu Bakr and Umar then we will be with Abu Bakr and Umar And remember, remember those Sahaba they without doubt, they guarded Islam after Prophet and spread it and the three We can immediately go to them and take Islam from them. So therefore, we need to take Islam from Al-Quran Sunnah in the light of the understanding of the Abu Bakr and Umar and Ali and the other, the rest of the Sahaba, Rizwanullah alayhim jami'an. And we need to respect the Tabi'een and Tabi'ed Tabi'een without doubt because they, they defended Al-Islam when they were, when it was attacked, before severely attacked and at any time. We need to remember how Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam suffered toward making Al-Islam reach us and therefore we need to appreciate that Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taslima sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taslima remember finally I have many finally but I, I, I promise you this is last finally and finally remember what says also very beautiful poems there Remember that minute. فارق موضع مرقدي يوما ففارقني السكون القبر أول ليلة بالله قل لي ما يكون. I only one night spend it away from my bed which I usually go and sleep there. I couldn't sleep. No calmness. I couldn't. I couldn't sleep just because I changed the place. So therefore, first night in the grave, how would it look like? That's roughly. جزاكم الله خير أقول قول هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم سائر المسلمين وصلى الله وسلم على عبد الله محمد الحمد لله رب العالمين right, إن شاء الله before I start firing these questions on your behalf may I just point out إن شاء الله reminder to the two sheikhs that questions are many time is limited إن شاء الله will try and ask them to be as brief as possible with fulfillment to the answers, of course. The first question we start with is, there is a dispute between scholars whether niqab is compulsory or no. If your husband asks his wife, if a husband asks his wife not to wear it, or even to take it off, uh, while the wife thinks it is compulsory, should she obey her husband or no? I'll, uh, if she believes that it is compulsory based on the evidence that has been presented to her, then she should not remove it. Very beautiful, Yes, actually, there is another question, so if you could elaborate, please. <laughs> there is another question on the same subject, so if you could kindly elaborate a bit to explain the rules about this matter, if possible. Please. You want to get through all these questions, right? <laughs> well, as the letters, the, the uh, letters already expressed, 
There are two positions held by scholars. One that it is compulsory, the other one that it isn't. Uh, both sets of scholars have their evidence. And the individual has to look at the evidence presented and choose the side according to what they consider to be correct. At the same time, as I mentioned before, they also have to respect the rights of, rights of others to hold the other opinion, which is also based on evidence. And then we have to act accordingly. More to the subject of our uh, conference, we find uh, many Muslims, or many Muslim groups, who concentrate on morals and neglect knowledge, while on the other hand, and as a, as a reaction, we find uh, those who concentrate on specific knowledge and neglect manners. Thus, they make a lot of riba, nimima, slander, etc. What do you think more dangerous? What do you think is more dangerous? And what do you recommend as solutions to this consistent problem? Allah Azza wa Jal says about the Prophet Sallallahu or to the Prophet Sallallahu Subhanallah, this ayah in Arabic, if you just think about it, it says that that means the Prophet himself, his self, became the earth. The earth. His moralities actually became the earth for him. And imagine a person walking on the on moralities, but spacious, strong, and whatever you can say about it, talk about it, it's just like the earth. So when it comes to akhlaq, Allah Azza wa Jal directly says, now when it comes to the knowledge, Allah will give him the knowledge. When it comes to the akhlaq, Allah by grace of Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Now if that is the case, he is also the best example. وَلَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ إِسْوَةُ الْحَسَنَةِ Allah didn't say, قُدْوَةُ الْحَسَنَةِ Because when it comes to the قُدْوَة, I am a little bit longer. When it comes to the, to the Prophet Sallallahu he said, وَلَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ إِسْوَةُ الْحَسَنَةِ Not قُدْوَة, why? Because let us say, you may hold brother Muhammad Ali Kraya, Habibullah, as example. Best boxer, I want to be boxer. Or you may love him, you may respect him, you may admire him, but yet, you are not responsible toward imitating him, or to follow him, that is called qudwa. Can be called qudwa. I'ijab, qudwa means i'ijab. But when it comes to the Prophet Wasallam, then, Iswa mean i'jab and ittiba'ah. So if he is وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Then how can you learn just knowledge and leave the khuluq? No, Prophet ﷺ had both and more than both. So therefore that's what we need, inshallah, to observe. In case we say the misguidance of the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ and we believe in it. And in case we say Prophet ﷺ is the best example. And in case we want to be resisted with him in the highest level of paradise, imitate him. With khuluq, without doubt. <laughs> <laughs>
This question is to Sheikh Abramina Yudafiris. Concerning Dawah to a Kafir, having said to the Kafir that the Quran has no contradictions in it, how does one proceed to explain the principle of abrogation to him? This is not really a question which um, can be in a short answer. <laughs> you can't take as long as Washington. <laughs> I think that um, we can say briefly that In order for the laws to be revealed gradually, in stages, for people to be able to assimilate them over the course of the revelation, the Quran's revelation took 23 years. Allah chose to reveal it throughout the life of the Prophet and the Prophet for 22 years of prophethood. And the laws were revealed gradually. So abrogation was necessary for gradation in legislation. Meaning, the Sahaba, for example, uh, in Mecca, where they were not in a position to apply Islamic law. The punishment for fornication was merely restricting people in their homes. When in Medina they headed the state, they set up a state, the Prophet at the head. Then the revelation came for the lashing, for the stoning to death. And the previous law was no longer applicable. However, what you will note is that the process of abrogation, though a law was no longer applicable, there may still arise, because one would ask, why did Allah bother to even keep it in the Quran? There will still arise circumstances in the future when that abrogated law still has a point of application. For example, an abrogated law concerning intoxicants. Don't come to prayer, not Don't come to prayer when you're in a state of intoxication. Right? This is not applicable straightforward today in the sense that this implies that it's okay to get intoxicated outside of the prayer times. And that was permissible at one point in time as the laws were coming. However, it's abrogated from that understanding. However, if you find yourself in a state, for example, you go to have an operation, they've given you gas, you come out of the operation, and you're intoxicated. That state of your mind, there is a state of intoxication. The time for prayer comes. Don't pray until you've got back your senses. So there is 
room for application here in a restricted sense. That's why the law is still there for us to take benefit from. The next question is to Brother Hashem of the As knowledge is not only obtained from books, which is the best school or who is the best person to go to for this task? Knowledge is not only obtained from books. That's right, because the Imam Shafi'i said if you obtain your knowledge from books, then you have missed all the rules and uh, the essence of the, the knowledge. Without doubt, uh, books, we cannot rely on books to take our knowledge, and that's why the problem is created here or all over the world, because we are, we are taking the knowledge from our books. And that's very unfortunate. Uh, however, uh, I am behind answering the, the, um, what, what is the best school. See, the, the, you, you ask for the best school, not the available school. The best school, actually, the school when, uh, in which uh, whenever you attend, you will hear that Allah says, Prophet Sallallahu said, and according to Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali, that's the best school. And the person who is teaching there, he will all the time refer to these three, uh, Allah, Al-Quran, Al-Kareem, and the Sunnah, and in the meantime, you will say Abu Bakr and Umar, and Sahaba explained it or, or, uh, or uh, interpreted it. However, when it comes also to the teacher himself, uh, five characteristics should be there. One is should be Muslim, because if he is knowledgeable but not Muslim, then he will lie. Two is he should be Muslim and knowledgeable because if he is not uh, Muslim but not knowledgeable, then he will give you wrong fatwa. Then uh, he should be Muslim knowledgeable and also he should be righteous because if he is not righteous, then he will say whatever he knows not. And he should be uh, trustworthy because if he is not trustworthy, you go and tell him, well, uh, should I pay zakat for my uh, wife if she is wearing that gold? He would say, well, if you give me 50 pounds, I'll say no. But if you give me 100, if you don't give me anything, I'll say yes, Imam Abu Hanifa said it is wise. But if you, don't, if you give me 50 pounds, I'll say Imam Shafi'i said it is sunnah only. If you don't pay it, no problem. So trustworthy as was. Now the last one is important, that I listen to that teacher who whenever the Quran says, or the Prophet says, he will say, Abdullah ibn Abbas says, Abu Bakr says, Ibn Mas'ud says, Ibn Abdullah ibn Amr al-As says about it. So that is the answer he will give you, and that's the reliable teacher we need to go. But you ask for best. Now available here in UK or in Europe, I would say, brother and sister Islam, go wherever you think you will be able to learn something. Now, however, there is probably no best, because nobody can claim he is best or perfect, out of modesty sometimes, but now, for example, inshallah, as you come to Al-Muntada, not because I am here now, but I am saying, inshallah, as well, since uh, their sheikh will be uh, Sheikh Abu Amina, then I think here is the best place for me. However, brothers and sisters in Islam, uh, at the same time, we need also to remember that when it comes to the knowledge here in Europe or wherever in the world, we need to know one thing, which is important. When it comes to learning about the evil, you need to learn it in general. So therefore, that's easy then. You are here eliminating what is bad and uh, what is bad and not good from what is good. You need to learn the evil only in general. But you concentrate on learning that is beneficial in detail. 
So therefore, if party want to give lecture and Sheikh Abu Amina want to give lecture, where would I go? To Sheikh Abu Amina. But then if there is no Sheikh Abu Amina will give lecture and I, if I go to that party, I would not get lost. And only sometime, and to take it in general, then I go and see what they are saying to know so I can defend Al-Islam and myself and advise them uh, accordingly. Wallahu a'ala. question is for Sheikh uh, Abunina. What is your future strategy as a propagator to expand Islam worldwide like those Christian missionaries do? Personally, though I have come here on a number of different occasions and given lectures and uh, will continue to do so when I'm asked. I don't uh, really prefer this method of conveying knowledge through lectures. My preference is institutions, that we need to set up institutions of learning where people can go and take courses, not hear a lecture this week and maybe next month you hear another lecture. So you're just getting pieces here and there, pieces here and there. But you're getting a consistent uh, body of knowledge which is organized according to educational principles, which will, at the end of a year of study or two years of study, give you something which you can pass on to others in a similar manner. This is what I favor, and um, I have tried to work in different uh, areas in this uh, capacity. working as a professor in a university in southern Philippines, Mindanao, to help develop this university as a, an Islamic model for other universities in the country. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the last time I went there, some months ago, I was barred entry into the Philippines. <laughs> so uh, that will have to wait for some time until that gets cleared up. Otherwise, I would continue to go different places. When I was barred there, I went to Hong Kong and Singapore to give lectures you know, in the various institutions there and to encourage people to seek knowledge and to uh, take advantage of uh, the opportunities that are there to improve their, not only their knowledge but the practice of their faith through Zawa as well as study uh, circles, etc. And um, of course I continue to write books. Uh, since I've been in the UAE, I've published now five books. And there are a number of other projects that I'm working on, among them translation of uh, Tirmidhi, Sunan al-Tirmidhi, uh, which will be authenticated uh, according to the work done by Sheikh Nasir. And, uh, you know, providing this in English to help uh, educate Muslims. Uh, my books on Islamic studies, uh, books two and three, people keep asking me about where it's books two and three. Book one has been out for quite some time. Uh, Inshallah and Hidayah should be publishing book two and three uh, sometime in the near future, within this year. Um, and uh, this is what I'm able to do. I do television programs uh, in Sharjah. I set up a Dawah center in Dubai, uh, in which, alhamdulillah, there are a number of other duat that are working with me there. And we have, on average, 
one or two people are touching the sound there every day. And uh, from the law, we set up programs there also to teach them. And uh, this is as much as uh, Allah has permitted me to do. If Allah opens the door for me to do more, then I will try to do whatever I can. Before I give the next question to Sheikh Hashim al uh, this is a note with reference to the Arabic he used in his uh, few minutes uh, before he started asking the questions. The note says, can you please ask Hashim, Brother Hashim, to translate the Arabic terms? On his behalf, inshallah, I'll try and summarize it. Inshallah, it was a beautiful Arabic poetry describing the morality of Prophet Sallallahu which could be, inshallah, summarized in the meanings of one verse, which I make uh, a and say it will describe it best. وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Verily, you are of the greatest moralities and perfect characteristics. That verse in Surah Al-Qalam describing the moralities and uh, characteristics of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu So the poet was talking about that. The question goes to Shaykh Hashim now. If someone pass in uh, between you and your sutra while praying, does this break your salah and do you need to start your prayer from the beginning again? If you are talking while you, if you are talking while you are uh, individually praying uh, and if it is child it will actually tankus uh, it will reduce. reduce. It will reduce the validity or will reduce the reward. Uh, the reward of your prayers, if they are chil- uh, children. But if those who pass, or he or she who are passed before you, uh, adult, then yes, in case you uh, do not have sitra. But in, uh, in case you have sitra, of course you must, uh, inshallah, you can. Uh, you can't prevent them not to go, but in case they uh, they will, uh, in case they do not pay attention to to you, still they want to pass. You can again prevent them uh, even by pushing them. But of course, some people misunderstood the hadith when it says "qatiluhum." They says uh, fight them. They thought kill them. Some of them think that kill them because there is a difference between qatil, qital. There is different in Arabic between qatil and qatil, but then people think that qatil uh, means prevent him, try to push him, that means they thought it is killing. Anyway, but if you are behind Imam, of course, the sitra of the Imam is your sitra, so if someone passes before, before you, that's no problem at all, because the Imam sitra is your Imam, uh, and is your sitra. So therefore, there is no harm, inshallah, but uh, at the same time, if you don't have sitra, if you don't have sitra which is near to you, then, uh, and you are, uh, in this case, you are reserving, for example, uh, um, very, uh, I mean, too much space, so you are preventing people as well, blocking their way, then they can also, they give you uh, uh, three, three arm, arms length, and then they pass after that, I mean, from behind that. So that's also all right for them, in case you are preventing them from passing, and you are blocking their way, and you don't have sitra. But if you have sitra, then they mustn't uh, pass before you, but after the sitra, Wallahu alam. I know it's not the right thing to do, but could I just yes, ask you to respond a little bit on that? 
since that the season is almost Hajj season, yeah. and uh, we know for those who have performed Hajj by the praise of Allah SWT, uh, you know, and there it's very crowded, and sometimes uh, with regard to Sutra, it's not really uh, achievable. Yeah. So could you enlighten us about that? Well, if you like the truth, or, uh, I don't know if you like the truth, or sister of the truth. If you like the truth, then we mustn't pass before each other, even there. But if you like the sister of the truth, then don't care about it and pass. That's what happens, really, because uh, scholars decide that we mustn't. At the same time, at the same time, if uh, we cannot, uh, also there is something else, when we cannot prostrate on, prostrate properly, some, some scholars say prostrate on people's back. Now other scholars think that, no, we can we cannot prostrate, then better we uh, do it by science. So therefore, we mustn't actually pass, according to scholars such as Yafan Rutaymin, Allah. But then, a few uh, people do not pay attention, and unfortunately, that is wrong and against the Sunnah. Wallahu I would just like to mention, uh, as far as I understood, uh, that the Salah isn't broken if somebody passes, unless it is, uh, you know, the black dog, the donkey, and the woman. These are the ones which actually break the Salah and require you to remake it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if somebody passes between you and your sitra, uh, other than those three categories, if the salah isn't broken, but just that the reward is reduced, and that person, if you have tried to stop them and they insist and cross that, you know, there is uh, some penalty that Allah will uh, put on them. That's what I meant, yes. But then I probably missed to say donkeys and then that's what I Next question is to Sheikh Bilal. Uh, when Muslims give da'wah to non-Muslims, they may be asked, uh, if Islam is the true religion, then why hasn't it made them victorious in technological advances, etc.? Uh, what would be the correct way to handle this question? If Islam is the true religion, why don't they have the advance in technology? We could say that historically, if we look at the time when Muslims were at their peak, when Islam was you know, practiced at a much better le- level and Muslims were in control of their own affairs, etc., then they were at the peak of technology. Peoples of Europe were going to, to Cordova, you know, in Spain, and studying under Muslim scholars. Uh, going into to Baghdad, etc. These were the centers of learning. Technology was with them, science, etc. And all the, the standard books which they used in Europe from the Renaissance onwards were books which were translated from, from Arabic. Even many of the scholars of Europe had to learn Arabic in order to get the knowledge of book mathematics, science, and the various other fields. So, uh, when Muslims are applying the religion as it should be applied, then they will be in the forefront. But, in the end, the issue is not so much of the uh, technology. The issue is not so much with the technology. The issue ultimately is with morality. Because all the technology in the world will not save a people from destruction if their morality is gone. This is the stories of the people of the past, the Ad, the Samud. They had the technology of building houses in the rocks and, you know, you know, the power and the wealth that they had. You know, they were destroyed because of their lack of morality. So what Islam has to offer is far more valuable than the so-called, you know,
benefits of technology. Because these benefits, ultimately, when you look at what has happened to the people uh, of the West, uh, we can't say that it has improved the quality of their lives. Uh, in fact, the corruption and uh, degradation which they're living under now is far worse than when the technology wasn't here. I only would like to add however, one however, inshallah, otherwise, mashallah, answers it. Uh, because uh, this question is actually, about this question, I remember a few years ago in the United States, I conducted a little survey or research and, uh, to find out why they reached what they reached, which they call civilization. I found really mainly and mainly they reach what they reach, which they call civilization, is a technological civilization or technological development. I found they had achieved it mainly and mainly through three elements. One is, one is uh, knowledge, two is deeds, action, three is perfection. And subhanAllah, if you take these three elements, which uh, United States only, only, I mean, uh, uh, about 300, 400 years old had achieved that, I found, and you can find in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, Allah Azza wa Jal talked about these three elements 1400 years ago. They really focus on knowledge, and Allah Azza wa Jal 1500 years ago, I can say, Allah says, Iqra, knowledge. Then they also, they, they, uh, the second element is action, and Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَقُلِ اعْمَلُوا 1400 years ago. And perfection, Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَأَحْسِنُوا so three elements, Allah Azza wa Jal says, three, three, uh, 1400 years ago, Allah Azza wa Jal says about these three elements and told us about these three elements, Prophet Muhammad beside them, but unfortunately the problem with the Muslim, not with Islam. However, in the end of the day, their technology based on, on iron. Now, before they know the iron, Allah Azza wa Jal revealed more than 20 ayahs in the Prophet Muhammad, whole chapter called Al-Hadid. Al-Hadid. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَأَنزَلْنَا الْحَدِيدِ فِيهِ بَأْسٌ شَدِيدٌ وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ And we, and we brought forth, we brought forth the iron wherein mighty power as well as benefit for the mankind. How many years ago? 1500 years ago. And that's why now they discovered, they said, well, we discovered now the iron does not belong to the earth, it belongs to the heaven. Oh, subhanAllah, Allah said, revealed it. Of course it belongs to the heaven. Allah said that 1500 years ago, and now we discovered it. So their technology based on iron, and iron Allah talked, told us about it 1500 years ago. Jazakumullah khair. Next question, Shahrubi Tawbamina. Are all Shia Kafirs? If not, how can we tell the difference? The main body of Shiites, the uh, Ibn Ashriya, the Twelvers, and the groups of Ismailiya, the Abakhanis, Muharas, Dawoodis, you know, these are the groups. Uh, these are all outside the realm of Islam, based on their giving the attributes of Allah to human beings. There is a group among them known as the Zaydis of Yemen. However, this group is still considered to be a part of Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah. So, 
this is a statement made about them in general. However, the individuals, when you're dealing with individuals, you need to discover for yourself really what beliefs they hold. Because they're like Christians. You know, Christians are supposed to believe in three gods, in one, Trinity. But when you get an individual Christian and you start talking to them, sometimes you find they don't. They just believe in one God. Some of them, they're supposed to believe Jesus is the Son of God. I've met Christians talking to them and say, well, no, we don't really understand it that way. It doesn't mean literally Son of God, you know. It just means one close to God. So, uh, it's in the same way, um, it's quite possible that you will meet from among these people, those who don't hold the classical beliefs <coughs> of the Shiites, which do take them as a group out of Islam. So, as individuals, one should uh, produce for them, or discover what their beliefs are, produce for them the evidence, you know, before they're going into the step of, say, declaring an individual to be a Catholic. Okay. Next question to Shreyf Hashim. Please explain the punishment of the grave and how it is explained in terms of whether it is seen or rape unseen. Some people ask about the wisdom of it, as people will may be going to hell. They are going to end up in hell. Some people ask about the punishment of wisdom. Punishment of the grave without doubt it is unseen. Because if it wasn't unseen, then we will be in trouble. Nah, because nobody will bury anyone. Nah, as soon as we take them and we find very good, they are punished, then we leave them alone and run, and the other one, the other one alone, and then nobody will bury anyone. So it should be unseen. In the meantime, punishment of the grave without doubt haqq. In the Bukhari, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, according to Aisha, she, was, she asked Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said it is haqq. Now it is also in the other hand, according to Shaykh al-Hutaymin, he said, by the way, there is a jama'ah for the punishment of the grave. Why? Because it is enough for us. It is not only scar of the, this era or the last era or that era, uh, believing in it or uh, confirming it, but the whole ummah after the Hiyat, before the Taslim, they say, they say, Allahumma inna a'udhu bika min al So they seek refuge against it. Therefore, it is haqq and there is ijma' according to Shaykh al-Utani for the punishment of the Greek. So we need to believe in it. Now, the, the nonsense of Tasdiq and the Iman, that's nonsense, we believe in it. We, it isn't part of the Aqeedah. Our Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimullah, in the Fuqh al-Akbar, uh, he said, he, he again uh, emphasized it according to the Quran al-Sunnah. And it's according to the Quran Sunnah, punishment of the grave is how. Now, is it in the body or in the soul? The debate is by the scholar in the past and at the present. But according to the Taymiyyah, without doubt, he's saying it is on the soul, but also can be on the body. Now, some people say, no, but sometime when the rain comes and damage some grave, we go and we find the body is there healthy. Well, subhanAllah, sometimes the person sleeps and then he dreams very badly, somebody hitting him. Uh, what the shaitan is kicking him and somebody is killing him and uh, on the other hand when he wakes up nothing happened to his body but while in his dream he suffered so that's that's al-ghayb and ghaybiyat we, we, we do not know how it happened but that is without doubt haq and therefore uh, we need to believe in it but also as I said Ibn Taymiyyah believe that it is on the uh, soul mainly but also can be in the body 
how you are someone from Ahl-Sunnah Jumaa and the past they believe in the body by the way and they have evidence it. So therefore we need to believe in it but whatever has to do with the hereafter we don't need to question because the first question we need to, to ask is was the Prophet Sallallahu a prophet? Was Muhammad a prophet? If he was, he said it. If he said it, we believe it. Uh, uh, just as simple as that. But the last question is when you seek refuge against the, the punishment of the grave after the shahud, do you mean that little hole or that little trench which, in which we person is buried? A scholar such as Shaykh Udami says it is not. It is actually, uh, most likely the Hayat in the Hayat al Barzakhiyya. The interspace life there. Because person doesn't know where he will die and where he will be buried. He may die in the, in the sea and fish eats his body. So therefore, we are, when we, when we uh, seek refuge, we, our intention should be against the punishment which can take place in the Hayat al Barzakhiyya. Allah. A couple of questions for Sheikh Abu Short ones requiring short answers, inshallah. Is it permissible to do Hajj when in death? That's the question. The other question would be Before I became a Muslim, I had lots of musical records. Should I put these records in the dustbin, or can I sell them, or can I give them away, or something else? Making Hajj. Making Hajj wealth and debt uh, is permissible if the person to whom the money is owed gives permission. What is haram cannot be sold. The musical records are haram. You can't sell them. Uh, giving them away is not really uh, serving any purpose, better you just get rid of them. I mean, if, it, if there's a circumstance where there's a need, you know, for example, if you're in an area where people are poor and uh, you are given uh, a tin of pig meat, right, you wouldn't eat it. Haram, normally. You can give it to the poor people who are in need, starving or need food. You can give it to them. But on the normal circumstances, you would neither uh, sell nor give away, you know, that which is haram. In general, yes, in general, yes, because Islam, whatever Islam legislated, without doubt, for your benefit and to avoid the harm. So, in the general, yes. Although I would add that, you know, Allah says that in alcohol there is good, but the evil in it is greater than the good. So it is possible that good may come from haram, but it's still forbidden. Jazakallah khair. Inshallah, for the benefit of answering as many questions as possible, shall we keep it to the Rithman Jazakallah The Sheikh, in the previous lecture, presumably, he said that the person who is 
responsible gets more. What if it is a female responsible for another female? Does that female get twice as much as the other? Okay, <laughs> This is in reference to the issues of inheritance. That Allah you know, sets certain general principles in motion. And uh, a woman, this question is again, it's a sort of an absurdity <coughs> or a nonsensical question in the sense that the men are responsible for the women in the Islamic society. So there's not going to be a circumstance where the woman is responsible for the woman. There will be men taking that responsibility. So based on that general state of affairs, then the division of inheritance was uh, made by Allah. Next question, Shaykh Hashem. This was regard to a problem which we suffer here in Al-Muntada. Uh, my dear brother, that's to you, Sheikh Hashem, could you please advise our brothers gathered here as to the correct way for us to line up for prayers? Lining up. My brother, we said we'll keep it to the 20 questions, please. Is that the same one? Just summarize it. What is the correct way of lining up for the prayers? Now, shoulder to shoulder. Now, now. Without that, you refer back to Sahih al-Bukhari. Sahih al-Bukhari uh, teaches that yes, uh, we need to be shoulder to shoulder, feet to feet, and ankles to ankles. But not the way how people do it, even at the Muntada. They put for us lines, and then they want us to again stand there. But the 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 ankles. Uh, unfortunately, um, we what 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 we do is we we lit the line in front of us. So as if we need to line uh, according to our toes, but it is not correct. According to our, uh, what you call it, uh, what you call it? Heels. Heels. I said ankles, I think. Well, <laughs> so that's what it is actually. But shoulder, shoulder, feet to feet, according to Hadith Anasir um, and Mughir ibn Shu'ba, all these Sahaba, they actually emphasize it, and the scholar also at the prison, they are emphasizing it and highlighting the importance of it. And don't forget يعني, uh, to take it seriously. Uh, if you remember in 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 Fath al Mulham, in Fath al Mulham, fi Sharh Muslim, if you remember when, uh, what uh, happened to that uh, person which Ibn Hajj al Asqalani narrated when he did not pay attention to the Prophet and the Sunnah, his head changed to the head of the donkey. So that's serious. I don't have time to narrate that story, but then that's serious. So that is very important Sunnah. We need to be shoulder to shoulder, feet to feet, and ankle to ankle, according to a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari. And at the same time, as I said, and from now on, if, you, if I wear you, I will go to Al-Muntada when I go there in their prayer, in their mosque. I will, uh, inshallah, azawajal, uh, do it according to my heel, heel to heel, and the line should be behind me, not in front of me. Wallahu alam. But uh, I would just ask, brother, you know, uh, uh, what is the evidence that it is heel to heel and not, I mean, uh, heel lining up according to heels and not according to toes? No. No, that's not in Al-Bukhari without doubt. But uh, without, if you we go to, for example, Kitab Kamam al-Minna for Sheikh al-Albani, you will find he brought very, very thorough, uh, يعني, um, what you call it, research 
and in which he concluded according to uh, not hadith which is in Al-Bukhari without doubt that doesn't but uh, I think if, if, if I remember correctly in other book of the Sunan uh, there are some indication which says uh, heel to heel but unfortunately I cannot remember now but for your information you can go to the Bermuda here is Yeah, when, when, when the Prophet says something, then later on they, uh, he found that everybody, I think, he feel. But I don't know if that's in Al-Bukhari or somewhere else, but there is some indication. Sheikh Al-Bani, again, and he decided. But uh, what I would ask would be just that um, the fact that the heels were touching doesn't necessarily indicate whether they were straightening the lines from the toe or from the heel. Because you can still use, you know, straighten your lines according to your toes with your heels touching. Now, he talked about this as well in Akhtar Musallin, of course the books are in Muntada, but he also, uh, unfortunately I forgot the evidence, but he emphasized it as well. But Sheikh Abu Amina has a right, we need to look at the evidence, but uh, I remember I looked at it and it was very satisfactory and based on the Sunnah, but then I cannot remember the evidence now. Inshallah, Hashem produced a little booklet about Sujud uh, al-Sahu. Inshallah, we'll ask him kindly to enlighten us on the subject, if possible, since that seems to be from him some brothers and sisters. Well, you said I wrote a book about Sujud al-Sahu and you always need in two minutes to explain it. No, I didn't say that. I promised for me to produce something enlightening about the subject. Okay, Inshallah. With regard to Salat Asha, some brothers might be wondering when we're going to do Salat Asha. Since that the lot of the questions is rather big, after consulting Sheikh Hashim of Bizra, consulting Sheikh Abu Amira, and inshallah we'll carry on with this session until say 10 to 10, so that we may do the Salat at 10 o'clock inshallah. This next question is for Sheikh Bilal. Can you give us an answer to the difficult question concerning the Prophet ﷺ marriage to Aisha? There's another question with the same meaning where there is accusation that Prophet was a child molester. Yes. Yeah, this is for Dawah people involved in Dawah. It is a bombshell which people like to throw at people. You know, today of course the whole issue of marrying a a child of the age of nine or seven, you know, something which is horrifying to the society today. So how to deal with that particular issue? What I would uh, respond is that, um, one, we're using uh, a norm of today to judge the past. We're using a norm which is something agreed upon in the society, in today's society, to judge the past, the first point. If we go back into the past history here in England, I mean, this is a problem which keeps coming up, just go back in the history books and check and see what was happening here. You know, you'll find that they were marrying people at all ages here also. This is something all around the world. The issue of marrying somebody you know, down to that age. It was not something that people considered. It's a recent time. And they start to set limits, you know, that it's not permissible for you to get married until you get a certain age. This was not known previously. 
This is a man-made decision at this point in time. Besides that, uh, we point out that biologically speaking, when Aisha went to Prophet she was at the age of nine and was menstruating. So, biologically speaking, menstruation is a sign of the preparedness of the body to be impregnated and to carry a child. It's a reality. Of course, doctors will say, well, you know, a girl at this age, you know, you know, it's going to be difficult for her and all these kind of things. Yes, in this society where people live sedentary lives, you know, they're couch potatoes, they're, you know, day in, day out in front of the television. Yes, you're going to have a baby. Yes, it will be very difficult. But in a society where people are functioning, they're active, you know, they're not, they're not living that kind of life where they're healthy people, then nine years old, having a child at nine years old is not a problem. So again, see, we're comparing according to today's society and the circumstances here today. Furthermore, if we look at the issue, Prophet didn't go around looking to find, you know, who is the nicest looking little girl I can find, you know. This was not the point. Here, her father, her father approached Prophet about marrying his daughter. And a father, you have to think about it. I mean, he's not getting any, he's not buying anything, he's not buying and selling involved in like this. A father for him to give his daughter, if this was something, you know, it's criminal as people are looking at it today, then surely a father is not going to just go and give his daughter like this. The other point is that in this society today, when children are molested, these children, when they grow up, they have problems. They're under psychiatric uh, care and, you know, their minds are messed up and all this kind you know, really, they're just ruined. Aisha, brother of Anha, became one of the leading scholars of Islam. She taught how many, you know, of the companions, the fourth most prolific narrator of the Sunnah, you know, I mean, a quarter of the Sharia is taught by her. She is a person who is outspoken and, you know, questioning. Is this a person who's been molested and messed up? So, when we put all these factors together, I mean, also, as I said, stressing the point that this age has been set by this, these particular countries here. In other countries around the world, you know, marrying at younger ages is still uh, permissible. Uh, that argument for molestation is baseless. This person, brother or sister, I don't know, uh, asked the question three times in the paper, so he summarized it, or she summarized it, plus, what is the reward of a man who marries a woman with children and provides for them? Sheikh Hashem. Sheikh Abu Amina. I mean, what, how can one say what is the reward? I mean, at the point of, of raising children that are not your own, you know, like the raising of orphans, is something which is highly commendable in Islam. Uh, of course, to marry somebody, you know, who has difficulty getting married due to the fact that they have children, again, this is a highly commendable act. 
know, Allah will uh, reserve special rewards for that person with the correct intentions in doing so. So, you know, it's really, as far as I can say, I really don't know of any specific, you know, statements of Prophet Though Prophet did recommend, you know, the marrying of virgins, so the recommendation, general recommendation, but uh, at the same time, there are many statements in which he spoke about raising children, especially in the case of orphans, and these children that you're taking are relatives to yourself, like orphans. Recently, amongst many of our Muslim communities, um, has appeared a letter by a sheikh called Sheikh Ahmed from Medina. We all know him, don't we? And if this letter is not photocopied and circulated to gain barakah, the person not copying may be uh, maybe harmed. Harmed or he gets sinned. Well, I want to make sure you don't give it to me. Uh, <laughs> now, actually, this letter, according to Sheikh Al-Udaymin, as old as 100 years. Because he said, uh, uh, Rashid Rada, if I know his name correctly, he said, he said that when he was a student, that letter was circling around and moving and uh, spreading around. When he was a student. Now, uh, how many years ago he had died? According to Sheikh Al-Udaymin, this letter is hundred years old. And he suggested that anybody get this letter, immediately write, immediately take it and cross it and write, lie, and then distribute it. Now, that's what he recommended, and I don't, I can't recommend better. Allah So we can save time. Okay, again, this question has been said more than once. <laughs> Some Muslims believe that Allah is there everywhere. I don't know where they got this from, this belief from. Could you just enlighten the question on Very quickly. The belief that Allah is everywhere, as I mentioned in the earlier lecture, this is part of Hindu philosophy, that Allah is in everything. Um, it is also a part of uh, Greek philosophy which entered in amongst the Muslims from the translation of Greek uh, philosophical books uh, where the Mu'tazilites set a principle trying to run away from the idea of limiting Allah to any particular place they set a, a rule, a qaida you know uh, what is it again? Uh, لا يحده مكان وهو في كل مكان. Something to that, to that meaning. You know that there is there is no uh, location which which encompasses him or sets him, and he is in all locations. Because if no location which sets him, but he exists, the, the obvious conclusion is that he must be everywhere. So this was a principle which they devised, and uh, it was inherited by the Ash'ari school. And that is what is taught in most of the uh, universities and colleges around the Muslim world today, unfortunately. 
as it happened, uh, the sorry brother, this is the final question, inshallah, and this is directed to Sheikh Hashim, as the brother Ramila just uh, accidentally, incidentally mentioned the word Ash'ani, the uh, question is, some people think that uh, the correct aqidah is to accept that of Ash'ari. Uh, please briefly state the aqidah of Ash'aris and how if it uh, does different, uh, differs from the Sunnah Jama'ah. How dare are they say this uh, uh, between Salafi? But uh, and they talk about Ash'ari and Aqidah and Salafi there, I cannot believe it. But then, anyway, that's because uh, Salafi nowadays are in trouble. So, therefore, uh, Ash'ari became uh, right Aqidah, it seems, unfortunately. Well, Ash'ari uh, Aqidah, if you talk about Abi Hassan al-Ash'ari, Rahimahullah, after repentance, after repenting, then of course, يعني, he joined the Al-Sunnah al-Jama'ah. But if you talk about Al-Ash'ariya before that, and which really many people remain and continue to, take, to deal with that and take that before he repented, then that's who said it is correct Aqidah. Isn't it them, isn't it they, that who said that Allah has no uh, attribute except seven, only seven? names and attributes, if I remember correctly. And also they came with these seven to eliminate or to forget about the rest of the attributes of Allah, names and attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal. So therefore, they say only seven, such as Al-Qudra, Al-Qudra, Al-Irada, Al-Ilm, Al-Sam'u, Al-Basar, Al-Kalam. This is, this universe is existed, so somebody must have created it, therefore Allah Azza wa Jal, he created it, therefore Allah Azza wa Jal Qadr and has Qudra power. Then at the same time to have power, but then he chose to, to create a moon and sun, so that means he has choices, so therefore he has Arada. And since he has Arada, but this perfection, somebody, uh, somebody should be behind it, so therefore he has knowledge. But then uh, knowledge, having knowledge and having Arada and having power has to have again Hayat. And then Haya has to have uh, some who has Haya should hear and should speak and should uh, uh, should see. So therefore Allah Azza wa Jal has seven uh, names and attributes. But they said only seven. Where? Why? They said because the rest of the attributes and names, if you would deal with them, you will make Allah Azza wa Jal uh, like human. Well, Subhanallah, يعني, when, when they forgot about, for example, such as Rahmah, now Rahmah is very clear in the Ibad, and, and, and uh, the, if they argued about Rahmah, is, Rahmah is more clear than, the, than for example, the, uh, the choice. Because choice to uh, create moon and create uh, sun, it is not a clear, a clear attribute or a clear uh, uh, names or t- uh, clear things to deal with, such as Rahmah. Now when you drive your car, Allah Azza wa Jal take it to your home uh, safely. When you're on the airplane, Allah Azza wa Jal rescue you until you reach home without any problem. No, uh, so that's... And Allah Azza wa Jal put the Rahmah in your heart toward your son, toward the Faqir, toward that, toward each other. So the Rahmah is to us, logically, more clear than, for example, to talk about choices. But this, yes, if you ask them, why you chose only seven and they throw the rest, they have no, 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 no evidence. Why you put them in this order, they have no evidence. So what kind of, uh, what kind of right Aqidah it is? No, it is only right Aqidah for England, but not right Aqidah for us. And our Aqidah, inshallah, the Aqidah of Al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, which they take holy names and attribute of Allah Azza wa Jal, of course, without illustration, without description, without uh, 
without uh, without any um, without without explanation uh, description, I should say. And at the same time, they negate what Allah negated about Himself. They accept and His Prophet negated about Allah. And they accept the name and attribute that Allah Azza wa Jal uh, assigned for Himself and the Prophet also told us about them. And when it comes to something which is weird, they stop. They stop in term of uh, uh, in term of details, but in term of details, they ask you for details. Then if the details suit Allah, they may accept it. If the details, in terms of details, doesn't, then win it. But this is really need courses or need seminars or need another conference, inshallah, to speak about it. Can I just add uh, one point, just to be fair, that um, uh, for the Ash'aris, uh, they have chosen seven, according to them, uh, out of the names of Allah, names and attributes, without denying the others, but reinterpreting the others. Is what if you ask them about the others, is Allah have a hand? You know, they're not going to deny that the statement is there, hand is there, but they have interpreted it under Qudra. You know, they have set aside seven, you know, meanings, seven concepts, and then they have interpreted all of the names and attributes according to these concepts. So they're not actually denying them as the Mu'tazilites did, right? The Mu'tazilites denied everything. They turned the law, as the Greeks did, into just a concept, just a thought, you know, having no reality. So the Ash'aris, in their attempt to try to, to counter the, the extremes of the Mu'tazilites, they were, they were able to come back closer to the actual correct thought, but they still brought along with them some of the uh, deviation of the Mu'tazilites. Well, here we come to the end of the session, brothers and sisters. As I have said at the beginning of the session, although this is a final item on our program for our conference, Thoughts on Da'wah, but we do hope heartedly that, inshallah, it will not be the last. I do remind my brothers and sisters that in this center we do have circles, inshallah, of teaching him. Although we don't normally bring men of the caliber of our sheikhs Abu Mina, Bilal Phillips, and Sheikh Ashwari Fahi, but there are circles teaching him, inshallah. We do encourage our brothers and sisters to attend these circles. They take place usually on Saturdays for the English-speaking brothers and sisters. There are other days for the Arabic-speaking brothers. That is namely Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Please refer to the notice boards for details. Before I finish my final talk, and this is another final, I express our thanks, sincere thanks to our guests, Sheikh Abu Mina Bilal Phillips and Sheikh Hashim Arifai for their efforts in this conference and delivering these lectures, <coughs> especially to Sheikh Abu Mina Bilal Phillips for coming from a long distance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for both of them put it on the scale of their good deeds. Another finally, just a couple of announcements, inshallah for the forthcoming events at the Muntada. Of course, tomorrow there is a 
special session for sisters only in here in the lecture theater. It's an open session for sisters with Brother Dr. Abamina Bilal Phillips. I also remind the sisters and brothers that we've just started, in the case of brothers, uh, an Arabic language course. And we are to start very shortly on the 13th, next Saturday, that is 13th of April, uh, an Arabic language course for the sisters. It's going to be a couple of sessions a week, a couple of hours in each session. Again, please refer to the notice boards for further details. Finally, another session, inshallah, on the telephone for the sisters. He promised us tonight to allocate half an hour, inshallah, for them to answer their questions directly on the internal telephone system. We shall arrange that uh, very soon. Our sisters can ask questions and direct them to Sheikh Abu Bilal on the telephone. Uh, inshallah, we'll uh, finish now and uh, proceed to do Salat al Isha. Anybody who's got problems with regard to accommodation, being a bank holiday, if they have problems with the transportation, they may uh, spend the night in here, inshallah, if they wish so. Jazakumullah khair all for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who listen and follow the message speech. Jazakumullah khair.